Welcome to the Border Outdoors podcast. Uh, I'm Mac. Mitch. Today we have another guest. We have Kruger. Uh, kind of a little bit about the podcast today. Kruger's going to introduce himself to everybody. And then he's going to tell his first experience because he's the first time on the podcast. After that, we got a couple other topics. If we get to them, we get to them. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Uh, my name is Mac Kruger. We'll... Uh, Go by Kruger from here on out. So keep professional. The confusion, <laughs> confusion to a minimum here. Uh, yeah, so I grew up in uh, central Minnesota, just west of the city's area, and uh, lived there most of my life. Uh, after college, I uh, went to the University of Minnesota, Twin Cities. Uh, ended up moving up north, northern Minnesota, for work. I uh, lived up on the Iron Range for about seven years. It was a good experience. Is that long? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it was a good time up there. I made a lot of good friends, had a lot of great experiences. Uh it's it's a uh unique culture up there. Good good area though. Met the wife up there. Yeah, yeah. Who uh ended up being also from central Minnesota, but yeah. I met my wife up there. Um and uh, we got married and uh <clears throat> currently we have three children and uh we moved back down to uh, hometown area here. So we are back. That's funny that, well, quick story, but, uh, obviously he didn't know his wife or he met her up there and we played softball for like five, six years. Slow pitch is awesome. But, uh, she was on our team and then she moved up there and then Matt Kruger and everybody grew up like five minutes from each other. Yeah, it's it's really unusual. She uh, grew up in a town nearby where I grew up, but we had never met each other till we lived on the Iron Range together. And uh, when we started kind of hanging out, uh, we were talking about there was about three years there where I went to Winstock every year, and she was talking about her Winstock experiences, and I was talking about my Winstock experiences, and I showed her a photo. Of me taking a paint stick of beer. <laughs> and she looks at the photo and she goes, that's, that's one of my best friends. The gal who was giving me the paint stick. And she's like, I was at that campsite. Right, We were right next to each other's campsites. And said so that was the year that uh, Reba played and the tornado warnings came through. I said, yeah, we all hid in a horse trailer of dumb as all things to hide in a horse trailer when a tornado's coming. And there's like 20 of us in this horse trailer just, you know drunk Hoping. and fearing for our life or whatever <laughs> joking around and she was in this trailer with me we didn't even know each other so that's awesome really weird random stuff but so you met her before like you no. we or no but like you i guess i don't know what i'm trying to say like you could have possibly known your wife before you knew her up in yeah, Winston. yeah like, i had obviously run into her but not like to a point where we knew each other at all okay um more just uh mutual acquaintances, friends of friends and things, but yeah, that's weird. <laughs> yeah. 
Small world. Yeah, exactly. All right, Kruger. I know you got a bunch of them, but what uh, what are you thinking for your first experience? Well, uh, I really wanted to, you know, um, with the border outdoors theme, obviously outdoors themes, I, I thought it'd be good to stick to something outdoors. Um, you know, I know you're going for... What are the two types here? You got granola outdoors and meat outdoors. And meat outdoors, yeah, right. Um, but obviously, uh, hunting and fishing being a big part of that. Um, the the one really good story that I wanted to talk about had to do with the uh, first deer I shot. But I decided that it'd be a lot better to have your brother Matt here. Um, he'd offer a lot of good insight for that story. He was there when that happened. So we'll, well save yeah. that. We'll save that for another day, but I have an, another first, um, that, that is a really good story it has to do with, uh, my first time turkey hunting. And I know it's not turkey season right now, as far as, uh, this was a spring turkey hunt, but it's, uh, you know, fits in line with the outdoors theme and just a lot of really good experiences that I had. And maybe, uh, other people have had similar experiences they can relate to. How many years have you been turkey hunting? So now it would just be two years. So this story would just be um, not this spring of 2020, but the previous spring, 2019. Um, so fairly recent. Is another part of the reason it's still pretty fresh in my memory, so I can remember a lot of the details pretty good. So you never... <clears throat> sorry. Uh, <laughs> so you never turkey hunted at all prior no. to moving back down to your hometown? No. Um so, and th- this was a bow hunt. Um, so I guess to kind of back up, uh, when I moved up north, uh, they one of the towns up there had a uh, archery shop. They'd actually converted a, I believe it was a bowling alley. <laughs> yeah, I just told the story the other day. lanes for uh, archery shooting. Yeah, that's and awesome. And I met a guy up there who is very passionate about bow hunting and, and archery. And he really got me into it. Um, I want to say this is probably <clears throat> 2012. And uh, paid a visit to the archery shop, met with this guy a lot. He talked me into purchasing a Bowtech. So I remember on your first podcast, you guys had a lot of talk about uh, Matthews. Yeah. And the Fred Bear. Oh, yeah. I enjoyed listening to that. Um, but at the time, Bowtech um, basically said really good bow, starting bow. Uh, it was, I don't remember the exact price, but it seemed pretty affordable. Yep, they are. Um, I like them. They're, they're really nice bows. Yeah, Bowtech Assassin is the, the model, and I still shoot that now. And Yeah, the one thing I've noticed with the Bowtech bows is they're really lightweight. Like they're, you, you, uh, you lift up any other kind of bow, and it's you know, they're, they're pretty decent. They're not super heavy. They're all under 10 pounds, I believe. But when you came over one day and you were shooting your bow and I lifted that thing up, I'm like, holy crap. Like this thing is light as heck. Yeah. Like I can't believe how light this thing is. And it was quiet. Yeah. Like I've never shot a bow tech, but now I know a couple guys from work that have recently purchased bow techs. And I'm like, bow tech's making a, it's making a run right now. Like yeah. there's a lot of people that are buying Bowtex. Yeah, I like it a lot. I'd recommend it to anybody who's who's looking in the market. Um, but so with that, 
got right into um, kind of competitive shooting at the archery club there. Uh, we had leagues and uh, tournaments and uh, team tournaments. It was a lot of fun. Uh, really, really made me hone in on skills. Um, I had done pistol and rifle shooting prior to that. Some of those skills transfer, but it's it's definitely its own own world of of shooting where there's a lot of variables that come into play so did you did you do the individual and the team uh for, for yeah both? yeah the tournaments i remember were team tournaments um there is what we had so we like our league and then like tournaments at the end of the season so what uh there's a lot of questions <laughs> i'm curious what because yeah, uh, we have a buddy that does a lot of a lot of uh tournaments and competitions but uh, was it just, I'll say, lack of a better term, like a target target, like the circle, or was it more of like a 3D, like a elk sitting out yep. there or bear, what whatnot? Yeah, it was a regular circle target, okay. and so you'd get uh, scored out from the, the center out was different points, uh, center X. And then a lot of times, the really the best shooters, it came down to how many Xs they had in the middle, you know. Really? Um, for the tiebreaker, how many perfect, perfect shots they had? Not this guy. So. <laughs> no, not at all. What? <laughs> so I'm thinking in my head right now. I'm thinking of a bowling alley. So I think that'd be perfect. Yeah, it it would be a really nice transfer for businesses. So were you guys able to shoot out to 40 yards? Or was it pretty? No, it was. Uh, I want to say 25. Um, definitely tw- between 20 and 30. So. Hmm. <clears throat> That's pretty interesting, actually. Yeah, I'm trying, <laughs> I'm trying to think of the bowling alley that we used to go to, and then uh, where we go up in Rogers. There, the I can't remember Arch- archery country. Archery country. Because that what what is that? That's like twenty yards. Yeah, I think it, that's got to be shorter than. I've never alley. shot there, but I see a lot of people shooting there all the time, and I think it's got to be twenty. I mean, maybe they have thirty if you're sitting at the back wall, but yeah, I think only twenty yards. I mean, I. You look at like Cameron Haynes and stuff on Instagram. He's shooting in his weight room with all his elk mounts around. He's only shooting at like ten yards. It's just constant repetition, repetition. Well, I to get you zoned in. The bow you're buying from Wally. Yeah. He he lives in the cities. I call it the cities. They disagree, but he lives in uh, Bloomington and in town, in city or whatnot. And he has a nice house, but he shoots down his stairs. <laughs> All winter, it's like maybe ten yards, if that. But yeah. he's like, it's it's reps. Yeah. He's like, I don't, I don't care. I'm well, just like with pistol shooting, like it all comes down to basic fundamentals. You know, you can practice the basic fundamentals at very short distances, and I know everyone wants to talk about like making the long shots, but it's all the same mechanics in your body muscle memory muscles you know in your arms and your hands uh, and it comes down to little things and and you don't have to be at long distances to practice practice those mechanics so yeah 10 yards in your basement that i mean you can hammer away all those mechanics 100 (laughs) percent 101 (laughs) percent okay so you moved to northern minnesota you bought this bowl you joined an archery club up there, started doing kind of competitive shooting, just a little bit of league stuff, just 
because I'm sure there wasn't a whole lot of stuff to do up there. So then you moved back. What? And then you got into turkey hunting. What? What made you get into turkey hunting? Um, two reasons. Uh, the house we purchased uh, is on two acres and surrounded by farmland, and we have a ton of turkeys around. And I kept seeing these turkeys come through, and I'm thinking, why, why don't I try shooting one of these things? Right? <laughs> <laughs> There's so many. No and video, no like something to get them excited. Just. At the same time, uh, a good friend of ours, Andy Rask, yep. um, was also very big into starting this turkey hunting experience. And he really got me motivated into you know, getting out there and, and doing it. So we went out there together. Um, went in on this together and thought we'd give it a try, uh, bull hunting for turkey. And, uh, you know, so leading up to it, it's not really knowing a lot about it, uh, reading articles, tips, suggestions, uh, Andy offering advice on what, you know, he had read or heard about. And it's like, there's so, just like with any hunting and fishing, there's so much like different, um, you know, opinions or strategy that people talk about based on their different experiences. And, and it's like, you can only prep so much and read so much. And I think we've all experienced this in life. Eventually you just got to go out and try it. And if you fail, you fail. And I failed, but in a way that I learned so much. Right. Mm -hmm. And it was just, it's really cool. And I, I've been out since and, and keep learning as I go, but. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, anyway, so yeah, just, it was just kind of the perfect storm of having a lot of turkeys and having a friend who is interested in turkey hunting as well. And, and we just went for it. Um, so the biggest thing was right off the get go, you know, having a good setup, uh, I went out and bought a blind. And that was one thing I really wanted to talk about. Um, you, you mentioned the archery country. Yep. I yeah. had, so I had gone to Cabela's and in Rogers and looked around there and then went to archery country or maybe I got to archery country first and, and then Cabela's either way. I liked, uh, the archery country store is great. Nothing against Cabela's, but they do a really good job there up in Rogers. It's nice to go to a store that's specific. Yep. And they happen to have a sale uh, at the time on uh, his Primos um, Double Bowl. Yep. Oh yeah. Uh, the surround view is it three sixty? So they, they make they make different degrees of uh, what you can see, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And the technology with this blind is that you can see out of this whatever mesh material. I don't even know what it's made out of, but obviously you can't see in, right? And it's it's amazing. And so you can get a, a 360 where you can see all the way around. Mine's a 270, so the back side is all black, but the other three sides I can see out almost plain as day. That's awesome. minimal interference. I've I've seen those. Like when we've gone to Cabela's before, I've looked at because <clears throat> my buddy Seth's got a an old double bowl 360, and and that was just you have pretty much a big opening and you you take this canvas and you can slide it up and down to whatever you want it to be. But then when I saw that Primo came out with that new one, we, I went in that thing 
It's pretty sweet. It's it's, it's unbelievable. It's cool. Like when you're in there, you have no idea anybody's in there, but you yeah. can see absolutely everything yeah, around you're, you. You're walking around it. You're like, okay, yeah, it's a it's another it's just another blind. Like, and then you hop in it. And you're like, what the fuck? Yeah. Like this thing is legit. Like it's cool. Yeah, I it's went great. in a 360, and I'm just like twirling in a chair in there. I'm like, no one can see me. This is great. And like one thing I want to add is, Primo has because I've had to do it. I've had to order the poles. They have like almost lifetime warrant, or I think they do have lifetime warranty. So all you have to do is call Primo online. You get their customer service, and they ask what kind of blind you have, what kind of hub assembly or whatever's on the inside, and then you send the, or then they send you the poles, and you just pay the shipping. So like I, I borrowed Seth's one time, and a big pile of snow fell on top of it. And then I had to replace a couple blind or a couple of the poles because they snapped. Piles of snow just don't fall. Well, it was underneath <laughs> the tree. <laughs> Could have been because I left it out there a little bit, but um, yeah, it was super easy to get a, a hold of them. And then all of a sudden, within three days, they came out with the poles, and you just cut them to whatever length you want. And it's it's a big reason why I'm looking at getting a new ground blind. I'm, and I was going to ask you about that double that double yeah. bowl that you bought because. They look yeah. pretty freaking nice. I would highly recommend it. They're right in the ballpark for price point for all their competitors. Um, I don't know why you wouldn't want that technology. It's it's amazing. It's It minimizes how many <clears throat> windows you have to have open. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's great. Okay. So then you went and you bought this double bowl, and you and Rask – are doing all this um, studying on how to shoot one of these turkeys. What did, yep. what did you guys have? What were you using for a call? Uh, so Andy has a uh, Lynch's world champion turkey call, and it's a box, uh, like a wood box collar. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, so that, that was a learning experience, you know, um, experimenting with that, how to use that. Um making uh either you know calls for the gobbler uh you can make cluck clucking type calls or actual gobbles where you basically shake it and it mimics the gobble uh really well that's in that same call yep i didn't know that you could gobble with them i thought it was just you had to hit the wood at the right spot and it was just like a yep so there's that that's uh, one technique, but it's uh, a box, a wood, small wood box with the uh, a top cover that ma- yeah. makes that scratching cluck sound attached with rubber bands. And when you shake it, it it uh, glides across the the box in a way that mimics a gobble. And if you, it's there's a technique to it, and it takes some practice, but. Um, as you will find in this story, it works. <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen that call. I, there's a, we have an the, old one around here somewhere. Yeah. It, but I never knew that they could gobble. I mean, either and we're going we, to try have, it out. We have turkey calls, but I don't think any of us, have, us brothers have ever I've gotten out turkey hunting. Uh, Matt's gone a couple times. I thought maybe, I don't know, but, but none of them were successful at least. No, <laughs> isn't that how he won that big uh, turkey's foot? Oh yeah, <laughs> at the game feed. So, 
Yeah. <laughs> I had to cough. <laughs> sorry. Anyways, All right. Proceed. So you, all right. So sorry. You got this turkey call. Where are the turkeys? Like, where did you see one? Or yeah. So um, over the course of being at this house for uh, a little less than a year, we had seen um, different turkeys come and go uh, behind my house in the fields. Um, the way it's set up is I'm very fortunate to have, uh, some neighbors that own a farm right next to me own almost 40 acres, um, directly behind us. And they've allowed me to, to hunt there. And it's pretty open fields for the most part with a very large pond and then the sides of the property are uh, wooded. Um, so the property lines are, are wood lines with tall trees. Yeah, three. I mean, I've been to your house. So, I know. Yeah. so yeah, I'm trying to paint the picture. But uh, so three sides of it. I mean, obviously, you got a field. So it's, it's enclosed by trees. And then yep. the one side is the road. I mean, it's a, yeah. it's a big area. It's not like, yeah. So the one side on the front of my house is a highway, but behind my house, um, directly behind is, is wooded. And on the side where I was hunting is also heavily wooded, but I was position. We positioned the blind. So it was backed up into the wood line facing out into the open fields. And we had a couple of different options for where we had seen them in the past and just decided to pick a spot and see how it went. Uh, kind of tried to pick a high point on a hill where we could see in all directions pretty well and um, feel like we could get a good shot from where we were. But <clears throat> that pond ended up uh, kind of you know, it's a barricade for traffic for, for certain animals, obviously, but we learned to work with it. And so we set this blind up and we're facing out towards the pond. I want to say the pond is probably, I don't know, kind of runs an angle, but 75 to a hundred yards from where we were positioned, depending on where you're, you're standing, maybe a little bit less than that. So you're facing 75 yards, give or take, depending on where, which part of the pond you walk to. And we had a, a little hill crest right in front of us that was where we positioned the decoys. Um, it was a Jake decoy and a hen. Okay, so you had, and, two, you had two decoys out there. Right, and we put them at about 15 yards. Um, we kind of played around different distances, but generally 12 to 15 yards was kind of our go-to um, based on you know the things we had read and optimal shooting shooting zones for turkeys so i'm trying to picture this <clears throat> were you guys hunting in the morning or was this the afternoon because like mitch said I've, I've been to your house so you guys were you're facing the south correct right? you're yep. facing the south so well yeah was this right away in the morning because i don't remember so you, we, when it was yeah we first went out um is either opening morning and and part of the reason we went with the archery license is that we felt like we could uh, work with our schedules a lot more, have more time. Uh, basically in Minnesota, you, you buy the archery license and you get the full season. 
basically from mid-April to the end of May to archery hunt, or you have to get the firearms license and you get uh, a, a week. Yeah, it's dr- like two weekends, yeah. one. Right. So, you so mi- nine days. Yeah, you're minimizing your time. You get to use the the firearms uh, license, and I, I wanted to have more time to be able to get out there and try different things. Um, so we went out there is either opening morning or, or right after whenever it worked best for both of us to go out there at the same time. And right from the get go early in the morning, um, we could hear gobbling in the distance in the woods. And it's, it's the coolest feeling in the morning when you're out there turkey hunting and you it, hear these gobbles. I haven't been turkey hunting, but Last fall, last fall, me and Danielle went out uh, duck hunting, and we didn't, I don't even think we saw a duck, but we went to a new lake, didn't know anything about it, but the whole morning, all we heard was turkeys, and it was, I mean, it was dead quiet, sun was coming up, and we were surrounded by woods, and we're sitting on this little island, and all you heard was turkeys, I'm like, that is freaking cool and that's when i'm like maybe i'll pick up a bull this spring and try to get one but never did they definitely when you hear that gobble it definitely it it piques your interest you're like oh what was that like you get a a rush from it yeah yeah and it uh i remember the first couple days so we tried both morning hunts and afternoon hunts and in the mornings when we heard the gobbling and uh, <clears throat> when they're up in the ro- roost, um, when you're close, you'll hear that uh, competing gobbles back and forth. So that was awesome because we knew we were we were in close proximity, obviously. Um, but then the next trick is getting them to come to you, right, mm-hmm. uh, after they come down. And we didn't have any luck. Um Again, a lot of different um, talk on there, uh, you know, on the internet or wherever you want to read articles about what kind of calls to make early in the morning or not to call or to call or don't do too much of this or that or the other thing and can overanalyze it and all that. But uh, we tried to keep it somewhat minimal. But anyways, we we didn't have luck. They, they landed somewhere else. Uh, days went by. We weren't having any luck. Where did... Not to, not to go off of your story, but it it took me a while to figure out. Like even being as older, I mean, I guess not older in my twenties. <laughs> like I didn't know, I didn't know that turkeys roosted in the trees. Yeah, that was something I learned too. That um, that, and that's one cool thing about trying different hunting experiences is you you start to learn about the animals you're hunting and and their behaviors and stuff that. You never learn elsewhere, you know. Um, I, I learned that a long time ago. I knew they roost in trees. Obviously, at the time, I didn't, but we were hunting. We were goose hunting, and we set up our decoys in the field, and we parked the truck, and we are coming back, and we're walking along the edge of the woods. Sure. And didn't think anything of it, like just walking, talking, bullshit, and whatever. And then the woods erupted because the turkeys were in the trees and it scared the hell out of us just because, 
And then we're like, that was huge. That was a huge bird. We, I mean, it was dark out. We're like, what was that? Yeah. And then we heard them down the way calling at each other. We're like, yeah, I guess turkeys uh, sitting <laughs> well, trees at night. <laughs> and that, and so part of this is being new at this is trying to gauge the distance at which you're hearing these gobbles. Because fast forward to spring of 2020, hearing gobbles within 10 yards of our blind and it just thunderous, you know, but rewind to the, the, the first year we went out, um, you hear these gobbles in the distance and you're trying to gauge like yardage, which direction it's hard to tell exactly how far away they are. Mm-hmm. But, uh, we knew they're out there and we knew we were in a good spot and just had to uh, be patient and weeks went by where we we weren't out there every day, but we were out there a lot. You're grinding it out. Yeah, and we weren't getting anything. We weren't seeing anything. We'd occasionally hear the morning gobbles. Not every morning, but a lot of mornings. And we, we still weren't getting them. Um, so what happened was <laughs> I, uh, I work shift work. So I work night shifts, um, usually from about 8.30 to 7 a.m., and I told my wife, um, if you see any turkeys, <laughs> so you just got home from so your shift. So you, she's your scout. Yeah. <laughs> no, and she's been great. Uh, I, I told her, um, if you see any turkeys, wake me up, you know, uh, cause I'm on night shifts and I wasn't planning on going hunting cause I had to sleep during the day and. But if there was going to be a, an opportunity, I knew they were out there somewhere. I wanted that chance. So this is now May, and it was one of the it was like the warmest day of the year so far. And at the time, it's probably in the sixties. Yeah, it, you know, which going from thirty degree temps to felt that, like hundred degrees. It felt like hundred <laughs> degrees. And sure enough, it's about noon, and I'm in a dead sleep, uh, coming off night shift, and. She comes in waking me up. There's a big Tom <laughs> out by the pond. Is that what she said? Yeah. Like she, she was, she was picking up on a lot of this Turkey stuff as we went. So she knew what to look for. Did you make her watch Turkey videos when you're no, sitting there I, No, <laughs> like, she didn't want, I don't, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> like, here you go, honey. See this? This is a Tom. Yeah. See how he poofs up like that? If you ever see that, you just wake <laughs> me up no matter what I'm doing. You just come get me. So, yeah, and she did. And I, so I, I got up in my underwear, pajamas, or I don't know. And I run to the back uh, sliding door, glass door, get the binoculars out. And sure enough, at, at the very back of this 40, which I can see from my house to the backside of my neighbor's 40, across the pond, a very large tom fanned out just standing there like stoic, like a statue. And I'm like, you son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I got the binoculars out and I'm watching this guy and he's not moving. Right. And so from, from my house to that back wood line behind the pond, I figured is about 400 yards, give or take. And I'm thinking the blind from where I'm standing is about 150 from the back of my house. So my blind is in between me 
and where this tom is standing. Not a direct line. There's a little bit of hill elevation involved, but he's he's it's it, that blind is right in line of sight where <laughs> this tom where I need to get to right. And um, one thing we had done is Andy and I decided let's leave the decoys in the blind. Uh, that way, if you want to come out in a hurry, we can you can just set them up quick. That, oh. ended, that ended up being mm-hmm. a really good idea because otherwise I would have had a ton of stuff to carry out with me. So I quick get on all my gear and uh, try to be as stealthy as possible. I got on all my camo, uh, which full body camo, um, face paint, the whole works, right? <laughs> you had, oh, you yeah. had time to face paint. I was going to sneak up. <laughs> This Tom was never going to see me. <laughs> and he didn't. <laughs> so I got, I just, I got feel, on the, I just feel like, like, like Heather's just sitting there like, there's a turkey. Like she's super excited. She yeah. wakes you up. You come out just staring down the binoculars like, yeah, and then and then like I feel like there should be like a rock Rocky montage, and you're just like suiting up. You have time to put on war paint. By the time you're done, it's like eight o'clock at night and it's dark. You're like, ah, dang it. No, so it was about noon. So yeah, fast forward about whatever twelve thirty, and I'm ready to to rock right. And um, so so I grab my bow, and I got the bow in one hand. And I have a backpack with like the turkey call and, and some extra gear in it, some snacks. I don't know. <laughs> it's going to be a long road. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, I. Heather's throwing in snacks and taking <laughs> it out of the kid's <laughs> lunchbox. <laughs> he doesn't need his fruit snacks today. Here you go, Kruger. <laughs> you don't know how long it's going to be when you're out there. And it ended up being the rest of the day. So pre-planning is key. (laughs) Always be prepared. I did. I had snacks. I had had waters. I had a full tin of chew. I was ready to go. (laughs) And uh, so I planned out my route. And what I did was I... Now, keep in mind, in my backyard, kids are playing all the time. We had had turkeys out back there with kids out. It didn't seem to bother much. So I wasn't too worried about... We're walking through my backyard, but I got to a point where, all right, I got to my back shed and I, uh, kind of around my shed and I said, I don't want to go any further without, you know, spooking them. So I got the binoculars, made sure he's still in that same spot in the wood line. And they're really good at blending in, in the shadows with those wood lines. Obviously, um, you know, their colors are adapt for mm-hmm. blending in with the, the trees and all that shrubbery and stuff. But I said I'm gonna I'm gonna work my way at a row of pine trees on the north side of my property, so that would have been the farthest away from the turkey that I could get and still having cover. How how tall are these pine trees? The ones on the north side, they're tall. They're okay. Well, some are are they some are forty feet tall and some are like shorter, ten foot tall ones. I have a mix. Do they have? Uh, limbs and stuff all the way down on the ground, or are you just like hopping tree trunk to tree trunk? No, getting skinny. One, two, three, go. <laughs> no, I, it, I, I did kind of do a hop maneuver, but I got um, basically to a point where I was still in my yard, so I was quite a distance away uh, from this turkey, and it was it was the 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 shorter, fatter 
type pine trees, right? Okay. Where there's yeah. a lot of cover at Evergreens the bottom. or whatever. So I got to the very last one at the back of my property and I hunkered down and, and uh, took another snapshot with the binoculars and saw that uh, the turkey was still out there, but he had moved a little bit. Toward, and towards the blind or just? That, no, just like left. probably okay. 10 feet to the left. Okay. Still close. And I said, okay, he's still there. This is my time to go for it. Now, what I had was, so if I'm standing up, basically I could see him, but in between me and the turkey, where our blind was, there was that hill crest I was talking about. Mm-hmm. And I knew that if I crawled, <laughs> <laughs> I just want to, I just want to tell everybody, if, yeah, yeah, how if, tall are you? Six foot five. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> So it's not like no. you're real like no i'm just gonna crawl and you're just this little object right so i knew that if i crawled i would be out of visual do this little bit of hill crest i had so that's what i did and i crawled slow and uh really knowing you know from reading about turkey hunting uh obviously not having to worry about scent but their visual is really good mm-hmm. so uh you know, keeping the visual to a minimum and the noise to a minimum. Um, those are their two best senses, right? So wait, <clears throat> so turkeys have really good like hearing. No, their hearing's good, but their vision is really good. Yeah, their vision. Their vision is, is super good. That's their like, superb. I, like, yeah. that's yes. their number one. I didn't mean to defense. say they, Yeah, I didn't mean to say they can't hear, but their their vision is yeah their number one. Yeah. Trait. Oh, really? Yep. So I'm thinking I got to be as low as possible. So I'm really literally doing like army crawl, like, <laughs> like pelvic to the pelvis to the freaking ground the whole time. <laughs> I got this backpack on one side and I don't want that to be like flopping around. So I got it strategically kind of position on my arm. I got my, uh, bow on the other arm and, and the way this crawl, this crawl sucked. Cause I'm going through like a half cut field where there's like old shrubs and sticks like sticking <laughs> up into me what? and it took me to go approximately a hundred yards to that blind from the backside of my backyard about 45 minutes oh. and so i would i would crawl a little bit of time stop and assess see if i could get a visual it was kind of hard to do because that hill crest i didn't want to be too obvious so i'd crawl like five, 10 feet at a time. Stop. Really slow. Right. I did not want to fuck this up. <laughs> you're, you're already in deep. Yeah. yeah, yeah I was no in deep. Kidding. I wouldn't have. And at one point I would have been crawling. I've been like, I look like a turtle. Like yeah. I, I would have, I would have been like, maybe screw I this. I'll I just... probably did look like a turtle. But <laughs> you probably... just get up and just run to the blind. Listen, I didn't have any other options for getting to where I needed to go yeah. without walking right across his whole field of vision. And, um, anyway, so I, I did this, this army crawl all the way out to the blind. And, uh, like I said, it took about 45 minutes and it was hot. It felt really <laughs> hot that day. Um, I get out there, I get into the blind and at that time, um, the, the Tom was gone. I picked up the binoculars, scanned that whole area. He was gone. And my my initial thought was, 
I fucked this up. Yeah. I was just going to say, do you think you, but then I thought, I don't know what's, what's going to happen. I thought I have a whole rest of the day here. He's out there somewhere. I got to give this a shot. So I, it actually worked out kind of good because I snuck out with the, uh, the decoys at that time and set so them now, up. So now you're in the blind. Yeah. And get, then get the decoys like, all right, he's, he's gone. He's somewhere. I better. Yeah. And like I said, the decoys are already out there. Otherwise yep. I would have had way too much stuff to crawl out with. Luckily we left them out there. So I still, I snuck out, you know, as low as I could in the grass um, just in case he was out there watching me and I couldn't see him, but I snuck out and got him set up about 15 yards out, um, in that hill crest kind of spot I was telling you about. Work my way back to the blind. I get set up and now the way it, w- it was set up, there's this pond, but back where the turkey was standing initially, Closer to the pond is actually a heavy marsh area. Mm -hmm. A lot of wetlands between the pond and and the woods. (laughs) I like like I'm drawing this because I got to remember. Yeah, you're drawing the picture, and I'm really intrigued by this picture. So my blinds, you're doing a good job. My blinds here, my house is, you know, over here. (laughs) No, you're not doing a good job. Anyways, (laughs) I got you. He was gone from here, but what happened was he came out following a hen over here originally no or no now this is after me sitting in the blind for couldn't have been more than half an hour okay and at this time now he's about 200 yards on the other side of the the other side of the pond so where he was initially standing was maybe about 100 yards from my blind but now he'd worked another 100 yards further south south yep they end up working their way out into this field. And over the next three hours, <laughs> oh, man. he worked from a position from about 200 yards away from me, literally standing in, in about a radius of about 10 to 20 feet, working a circle close to the hen. And at one point, they gradually worked back to the edge of the property over here. How far from the blind? That would have been, in my estimation, I don't know, three to 400 yards, somewhere okay. in there. So at at any point when you're watching this turkey, you're like, I just crawled on my belly for 100 yards, did all this work, and it's hot as balls. Mm-hmm. And this guy is not going to come anywhere near. Well, like, I mean, or it's like, my, were you thinking, like, I just did all this work for nothing? Well, my my I, view is, like, he, he's a, I didn't he's a know. cross with a hen. Keep in mind, yeah. I'm I'm brand new to this game. I don't really know what to expect. I just know I'm working with something. Yeah. And what happened was they slowly kind of worked back this way and went away, but he was he always wanted to be close to that hen. It was just the one hen. And they got just out of sight about 3 to 400 yards away. I don't know the actual distance, but I was a little worried at that point he was gone. Yep. They end up coming back. They come back to this same spot in the middle of the field across the pond about 200 yards from me. And at this point, um, I wanted to test this this gobbler, right, with the box call. 
I got responses almost every time from this Tom. So I gobble and within 10 to 20 seconds, usually he would gobble back. That's Is pretty it, sweet. And he, he would stand here. And so my decoys are right out in front of me here. And he would, he would fan out and he'd stare down the decoys and he'd gobble back. So he knows you're there. And I, and I, and I'm like, this is working. He, as best as I can right now, he's acknowledging me and seeing me over here. So we went back and forth from this position, almost an hour. So, you know, he would move occasionally here, there, but he just kind of same distance. Kind of kept this like one twenty foot radius. We'll say is, so when you're gobbling at him, like I'm completely new to that. I don't hardly know anything about turkey hunting. Is that a territorial thing? Like, it's almost like you see that ter- right. that hen over there, and you're gobbling at that hen, and he's pretty much already like, "This is my girl," and then he gobbles back like, "Stay away," kind of deal. Is yep. that like so? You guys are almost it's a, in this. Yeah, it's a territorial competitive thing. You know, a lot a lot of it obviously over the hens, right? Yeah, yep. breeding and yeah. So that and I, honestly, I don't know. I don't know what what's really happening right now, but I know that he's seeing me and acknowledging it at least. So I I feel like we're improving. So the afternoon goes on, and um, what was happening is he he was just staying close to that hen, and eventually, uh, probably so I was got out to that blind. It had to be close to one thirty initially, so it was probably. close to three hours so we're talking like 5 five thirty here <laughs> and the hen after all this time starts coming this way back to the marshy area of the pond closer to you and i'm like yeah. okay this is <laughs> this is new behavior <laughs> he's and just analyzing okay here we go. And what does yeah. he do he doesn't come running after her, but he trails behind the whole time, probably like 20, 30 yards behind her. And he's following her slowly, and she's coming slowly. Now, there's some trees up in here. There's like one tree here. So I have some, a little bit of like obscured vision, but overall I can see most of it. And all of a sudden, she flies across. Across the swamp. Yeah, now, she... now, keep in mind, I'm, <clears throat> I'm gobbling occasionally, but I didn't want to overdo it. Yep. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So, and I, I don't remember the exact like time I spaced out all of it, but I felt like whatever I was doing was was working. So I just I tried to like slow play it and and space them out enough to where I wasn't overdoing it. I almost but I still want to make sure I had his attention. I'm almost I'm gonna take a picture of your drawing and yeah. I'm gonna put it as like <laughs> the the picture for the podcast yeah. because like. It might be confusing to people that are listening, right? But like he's drawing all this out on this piece of paper, and yeah. it's super <laughs> intriguing because I've even I've heard this story before, but like not in this much detail. You're just like, oh, I did this and all well, this. This other is stuff. why the whole experience was just unreal. And I, I'm thinking she flies across, so and I'm like, she, so now it, she flew across the pond. Like I said, north. The box call is working. Yeah, and this was relevant because. Me and Andy being new to this, not knowing if we're doing good gobbles, doing good clucks, doing all the stuff. 
because we had tried and tried and tried in the weeks before and we never got anything to come to us kind of not sure our confidence level are we doing this right whatever now i'm seeing okay it's it works like in the right situation it works right so here she comes flying across and now another thing to draw on here huge (laughs) huge wood pile huge wood pile in the corner of their 40 right how far is that from you so this is going to be about 75 yards directly to your right directly to my right is this huge wood pile and the hill crest does this (laughs) and there's another hill here so some of this is out of view there's like a little valley she disappears out of view the tom flies across progress oh yeah right now here's what's interesting from here on out i never see this hen again i don't know where she went to this day she was out of view by this wood pile let's say 75 to 100 yards away from me out of view there's trails back here she might i don't know he slowly making his way as before real slow goes to where she last i last saw her so he's still following her right Behind this wood pile, out of view now, down in this little valley. Now, this is the time where I'm like, I don't know what to think. And it's starting to get late. And um, there was about 20 minutes, I want to say, where nothing happened. No gobbles, no sight. No. And I remember throwing out a gobble and not getting a response. And so now I'm like... I don't want to weigh too much into this because I know he's close and maybe I shouldn't be gobbling. Yeah. Whatever. You don't want to overcall. Well, eventually he responds and I hear him down here. I'm like, okay, he's close. He's much closer. So I laid off the gobbles and kind of let him do his own thing. Sure enough, (laughs) but another 10 minutes goes by and I see him walking up the wood line and he's strategically like, they know what they're doing, right? He's like staying in cover kind of. And he'll walk a few steps and stop and like assess. And walk a few stop, uh, steps and stop. Walk a few steps and stop. And I see this thing coming in. He's getting really, close. Really big beard. Uh, really long beard. Really <laughs> nice Tom. And I'm like, this is freaking sweet, right? Are they always that timid? Yeah. Like you walk a couple steps, stop, look around. No, I don't or... think they are because the next season we had a group of Toms and we, this is a whole another podcast yep. story. <laughs> yeah. But this, the other group we had was super aggressive. Like they weren't. They're just in. They just came Once right they in. got to the point of seeing competitors, they went right for them. So I don't know if this guy is because he's by himself or, or what, or if he's. Possibly he's been shot at before. Yeah. But he was definitely taking his time. So he's coming up here, coming up here, coming. And now at this point, I don't know which angle he's going to take. He's directly to my right, and I have this great 270 surround view, mm-hmm. so I can see him really well, but he can't see me. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm still like, su- I had a couple windows open, obviously, and I'm, I'm so I'm very cautious of my movement and everything. Yep. And I don't know if he's going to take a wide angle and come out towards the pond more and, and come in. Or if he's going to, you know, what, which route he's going to take. He ends up coming directly to my blind. And again, another props for how good these blinds are. Came directly to my blind. 
So I got these decoys out there and my blind is, is what it is a little square, you know, but it's, he, he came right to, I did not foresee this happening. So is, is your blind in the wood line or are you just on the outside of the wood line? I was, uh, in, in the wood line. So this okay. picture is okay. a little deceiving. So the wood line actually comes more like that. And I got some branches hanging over me. <laughs> <laughs> You're not gonna be able to read this picture at all. And uh, so the the front of it was maybe a little bit out, but mostly we're in the trees, the back side of it. Okay. So he comes right to this right side, and now I'm thinking, again, first time, never taken a shot before at a turkey, not really know what to expect. I'm like, I'm I'm gonna have a super close shot. He's gonna be right here, and I don't know if he's gonna stop. What he's gonna do now? Keep in mind reading afterwards about how I screwed this up. Oh, no, you shouldn't have said that. No, I'm no, just no, no. Because <laughs> there's people that will listen to this and be like, oh, you should have waited. You should have done this or that. And you're probably right because I feel like I, I rushed it, not knowing what I was going to well, get. I mean, you're sitting out there. You belly crawled for 100 yards. You watch this turkey. For three hours go by. Three hours go by. You watch this turkey go from a 400 yards yeah. to, I don't know, what, 30 yards to the right of yep. you. You're watching them. You've never shot a turkey. You invested money, time, and all this stuff into this sport. Yeah. And you're just like, I need to get this turkey. Like, you know, your yeah. adrenaline's pumping. You don't you don't know what to expect. So so in hindsight, I wish I would have waited till he went out to the decoys because he was trying to flank these decoys. He was coming up sneakily and he was gonna pop out, which he did, right at my blind. So what happened was when he got right up next to my blind and he's slow walking, real slow. He starts breaking for the decoys, and I had a window open right on my um, front right corner. And I said, "This is it. He's gonna be so close, I can't miss. <laughs> like it's gonna be great. It's gonna be great." So I, and I had drawn back a little bit before this uh, to minimize any movement, but it, it wasn't. I wasn't pulled back too long um, to the point where it's like uncomfortable or anything. But I pulled back when he was, you know, probably twenty yards away but he was at a steady uh, pace at that time. So he just prior to getting in my window, I'm trying to assess how freakishly close he's actually going to be. And we're talking within five yards, <laughs> right? <Holy crap. laughs> within like, I can almost reach out and touch this little bastard. <laughs> he's actually pretty big, but I can just reach out and touch him. Right. And I'm thinking in my head after all the times I've shot, on the archery range, what have I shot at? 20 to 30 yards, practicing in the backyard. 20, 30, 40 yards, right? When do we ever practice shots at five yards and in? Never. Three yards, four yards, five yards. The, the closest you, I've ever practiced was 10, just to see if there's any difference and there wasn't. Yeah. So I've never even thought about practicing at <clears throat> five, six. It seems silly, but um, we, we don't practice that. And we I don't know just not something you ever think of. Well, in the heat of the moment, I'm thinking super close range. You got your pins for your sights, the top pin, uh, 20 yards and in, right? Yep. yep. You know, one lower 30 yards, one lower 40 yards, right? Yep. So I'm thinking I don't have really close range pins because who would need that, right? So in my head, trying to calculate what common sense would be, I'm imagining like, 
imaginary pins above the 20 pin at like 10 yards and five yards. So my common sense is telling me I need to aim low. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I understand what what I'm saying. I'm thinking if I had a five yard pin, it'd be be about here. And so I cocked down and I let her rip and the wings flapped and he went freaking crazy and he ran away. And what happened was I had shot low right underneath him. Was he, was he all feathered up? When, when he, he sh- came in, he was not fanned out. No. He was not fanned out. No. I guess that instead strutting. of feathered. Yeah, strutting. Yeah, he's okay, yeah. Strutting in. And so completely like, what the hell just happened? Devastated. Whatever. He was long gone by the time I even had a chance to think about what just happened. Seth would just go get a new bow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Seth. <laughs> What's wrong with this bow? <laughs> so... uh anyways i i did some research i don't know how long it was after that shot it might have been out in the blind that day because i was so pissed (laughs) off and i watched another guy who actually posted a video where he did the same thing he had a turkey a nice tom come walk right up on his blind and he missed at point blank range he had he actually had his decoy like a yard out two yards in front of his blind where the turkey was like right where he wanted to be and he missed and reading about some of this and a trajectory of like arrows and, um, you know, bows and, and the pins and all that, what is actually suggested on, on what I've read, and this makes sense, and I should have known this after uh, like sighting in different uh, rifles and things, the, the pattern of the, the trajectory of the arrow or the bullet compared to the sights is it's, it's coming out low right away until it, it uh, meets that point where it's in line with your your top sight so what's actually recommended at point blank range is using the higher yardage pins you actually want to come up oh okay yeah yeah you want to come up so it'd be like using your 40 yard pin um to compensate for a little bit of that difference and i actually went way low see i wonder how many i would have done the same exact thing because i wonder how many people i mean it seems like common sense to you know you have a 10 yard pin. I mean, if you, if you picture, I'm trying to, if nobody has shot a bow before you have a circle with dots in it and the top dot is your 10. The next dot down would be 20. The next dot down would be 30 and so on and so forth. So you put it above your top. My pin top because is that, sighted. Yeah. That makes sense to me. Like it's closer than 10 yards. Yeah. I must have to use the top of my well, sight. Well, my, my top pin is sighted in for 20. Okay. So I, I went even that seems, it's still It lower. still seems completely opposite of what you would think. It does. I agree. Um, look it up. Correct me if I'm wrong, but people have researched this, been through it. At point blank, which I would imagine is very rare, you actually want to come up with that bow and use the... Um, the higher yardage pin. I'm going to have to try it. Like I need to try that because uh, it makes sense to me. Well, yeah, it makes sense, but it, it's just so weird. Cause like I bow hunt quite a bit out of a ground blind like you do. But like, if I have a deer that's almost sticking its head in the ground blind, I'd panic. I don't know where I'd, I'd put it. I think I just, 
put that whole circle from the site right in where I think I need well, to be. A deer's a lot bigger. Than oh, a, a deer. Too, that's but. and that's how I wanted to ask you is. So, how tight of an area do you have to hit to kill a turkey? Like, yeah, it's I, like vitals are like a fist. I want to say like super small. Either either you take out the head. Or you take out the vitals, or another option, which is recommended by some people, is uh, aiming for the where the leg um, meets the body, mm-hmm. the top of the leg, and actually crippling them. Do they have an artery or something in there? No, I I think the idea is just to literally cripple their leg, so they can't. Then you, <laughs> so they can't take and then, you, can't. then you yeah, you go out and kill it because they don't they don't fly like a normal bird. They have. Don't they have to get momentum? They have to run. To, to, yeah, to yeah. run to, in order to take off because they don't flap their wings. They kind of more glide than anything. What's crazy to me is you've told this story before to us, but I still can't wrap my head around. It's a bird. Yeah. Like it's a deer you'd think would be a deer, an elk, a bear. You'd think it would be a lot harder to kill yeah. than a turkey. But well, and they're, they're, uh, you know, their feathers are like chain mail. I mean, yeah, I didn't, tough. Know, I didn't know that either. Um, so different, uh, different strategies for, you know, one of the, uh, reading about one of the prime shooting positions is when they're, they're facing away from you fanned out and actually shooting right up the butthole. That, and what that'll do is they'll send the arrow right into their, their vitals. Yep. Um, that's but, actually a strategy for goose hunting too. A lot of guys, a oh, lot of yeah. guys set up. So that the wind's at your back and you're shooting, the geese come in, they're basically hovering, their breast is right towards you. And you, you shoot, maybe a headshot, body shot, whatever. But there's a guy down in Rochester, uh, Scott Trinan, that was, he was videotaped, he videotapes quite a bit of his hunts. And he would actually set up completely opposite of that, where the wind is at your back. No, at your face. So that those birds will fly over you. And when you take the shot, you're actually taking it from behind because they don't have a a chest plate or any, obviously, but a chest plate to protect their vitals. They're, you're going in through the technically the lightest feathers, the least resistance is right through the back or the butt, whatever you want to call it. That's going to be your least resistance for that turkey or goose or whatever. Right. And then they're like... When they're all fanned out, is that why people, I mean, I've, I've watched videos on YouTube of people take, I don't know what, what are those broadheads that cut the head off? Yeah. That they, they, the guillotines where they, they shoot for the head is because it's hard to see where their vitals are, where to see where the leg comes into the body, where all this stuff, mm. it, it's super, yeah, when it's, super when it's tight strut, aerial. It's huge. Yeah. And I mean, I guess you could shoot and you could just go right through nothing but feathers. Mm hmm. That's a makes you make yeah, me not want to get into turkey hunting. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds pretty tough. Yeah, but then I mean, there's a lot of guys out there who've killed a lot of turkeys and done well. And but I've also re, the more research I've done, I've heard a lot of stories like this where you know shotguns and everything hitting them multiple times and them still getting away. I mean, they're very resilient, resilient tough birds, and that's that's pretty cool. You know, that's. That's insane. I never would think that from a turkey. I thought it was just, I didn't think turkey hunting would be that tough. I mean, any hunting is tough, but I just thought it was almost, and this might be bad to say for myself, but I thought it was almost like a pastime. 
you know, yeah. like I'm, I'm a bow hunter. I love hunting deer, but spring's coming. I don't really want to I didn't, I, re- I don't want to go fishing yet and I need to do something. So I'm going to go turkey hunting because it's easy and yeah. I, I get to shoot my bow, but that's not the case at all. They're actually pretty tough birds. They're, yeah, they got good eyesight. They, 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 they're smart birds. And the guys that talk to that have done a lot of it. I mean, they're really into it. You know, they're, they're addicted to a point cause it's, I heard it's, it's really addicting. cool. Well, yeah. You, you talk about that story. Like you just said, where you're crawling and trying to get this Tom in. Right. And, I mean, you can't execute the shot, but that's any other bull hunting, you know, deer, turkey, whatever you're doing, fish. But like, I don't know. I like you, like you were just saying, Mitch, about how you think it's just a pastime. Then it may be like a, a little light bulb click. Like you go deer hunting, you see, I mean, I see turkeys all over the place. They're walking at 10 yards. It's like they don't have a care in the world. Same with grouse. You go rifle hunting and you're up in northern minnesota there's grouse flying all over and they're in a tree right next to you but then when you go to hunt them they're they're nowhere to be found or you're you're putting in miles and miles of trying to find a grouse to shoot one and they're fast and quick and the same with turkey hunting you see them all the time and now it's okay i'm gonna go shoot them and you just it's something that you have to put a lot of time and effort and research and studying on what, how the birds react to different calls and all that other stuff. Right. It's just a difficult, any, it just shows that you have to put hard work in any of the outdoors or any sport that you do. No, nothing comes easy. No, not, no, nothing in life comes easy. That's, that's a (laughs) hundred (laughs) percent. Yeah, man, that, that's freaking insane. I didn't, I, I never thought there'd be that much. Oh, oh, you got to go to the bathroom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> I never thought there'd be that much work and effort. I mean, obviously I, there there's going to be some, and I wonder if, you know, you could scout more for birds. I've heard guys using crow calls and maybe owl calls. And then they, they go out at night or not at night, but like right at sunset and they start calling. I watch a lot of Turkey stuff. I watch, <laughs> I watch anything that has to do with hunting and fishing. But they start calling, then they find where their roost is because they they're evidently emin- emines. <laughs> emines. <laughs> they don't like each other, and, uh, <laughs> but they'll start calling back to that crow or that owl. Sorry, I don't remember. But then you're like, okay, these turkeys are in this part of the property. They're in this tree. Tomorrow morning, before sunrise, before they fly out of that tree, I'm gonna have my decoys set up so it looks like there's some new turkeys in his territory. Well, it's, I don't know. Is it like, uh, is it like goose and duck hunting that you, you don't want to hunt the roost? I don't think so. I, I, or think, can I you, think just, or can you set up? I, I suppose once Matt, once Kruger gets back in here, I should ask him that. Cause like you don't want to hunt the roost and because for the sake of scaring all the birds away, but if you got a turkey, like, cause like last, um, this last spring, we we had turkeys here in the backyard. Oh, and that were yesterday, by the way. No, we really. Yeah. Well, I remember in the winter. If you, by the way, if you guys ever want to watch turkeys, you can uh, just put a corn feeder out for the deer, <laughs> and the turkeys, when the corn runs out, they sit up on the deck and eat, peck all the bird feed out of your, yeah, <laughs> out of your bird feeder. Your bird feeders. <laughs> but like, so while you were gone, I, 
<clears throat> this is like a serious question. So like in <laughs> <laughs> so like in duck hunting and goose hunting, you don't want to hunt the roost. Can you hunt? Is it a solid thing to do to hunt the roost while turkey hunting? Like, can you set up? Yeah, if that, you can sneak in under the you know. That, that's dark. usually the goal. Yeah, is to find out where they're roosting and set up right there so they come down right where you're at so you weren't in the room but uh did you try or have you heard that you use a crow call or an owl call towards sunset no i haven't heard that okay i saw a guy do this maybe i should have told you this two (laughs) years ago so they they use a crow call or uh an owl call i don't remember you can look it up but uh they do that at right at like sunset or after they've been they go into their trees they're going to stay there for the night and they'll actually call back to you cuz they they hate each other evidently and then you find out what tree they're in or what part of the property they're in and then you're like all right they're in this tree they're in this area i'm going to set up my stuff before sunrise in this area so when they come out of that tree the first thing they're going to see is a nice tom or a, or a hen sitting in their line of sight. Yeah, I haven't heard that. Wouldn't no. <laughs> sorry, I, sorry. No. <laughs> sorry, I didn't tell you. When you yeah. appreciate like, that, it goes back to setting up on the roost, and obviously, knowing that you've only been doing this for what two years, do you have to be pretty cautious? Or when they're sitting up in the trees, can you walk in with your headlamp, going every which way? light light wise and can you just set up your stuff go sit in your ground blind and you don't have to worry about scaring them because you know the minute that the sun comes up they're going to see your decoy and just come right down um so i i think the uh i think ultimately you know noise discipline is good but i remember andy was talking about this It'd be a better question for him because he brought that up he had done some research on like uh, noise and things at different times of the day with them. And I can't, I can't really remember what the preferred method was or if it was, uh, you know, that would be a big hindrance to the hunt. I, exactly. So, yeah, we'll for sure have you and Rask on this, this spring here when you guys are getting prepped and ready to go for another, you know, spring season of Turkey. Yeah. There might be a video. Yeah. Yeah. We could have, have a video going. That'd be kind of cool. But for in case you guys people haven't realized his voice, Kruger here is actually the guy that sings and wrote our intro to the podcast. And when he wrote it, we were sitting at his house having a couple beers and a bonfire dealing with the pandemic and we were kind of just all sick of everything. And I was telling him about, you know, Border Outdoors. And he has a guitar out, and he just starts singing. So he wrote that song on the spot. and Doesn't, Didn't remember it. No, didn't even remember doing it. <laughs> Did I sing that? Yeah, yeah just, it came off the top of my head, and I don't know. I've done that a few times where just start playing something, and whatever comes out, and sometimes that's the, the best way, right? <laughs> um, yeah. I, I, I wouldn't know. Yeah. Wait. I, you talked about using that song for the show here, which is awesome. Um, and then you talked about, you know, re- recording it again, 
and if I wanted to redo it or whatever, and I literally made that song up on a whim. Um, and it's kind of like, oh, it's kind of cool just how it, it came out like that. I don't know if I want to change it. It's just simple, and I didn't. I didn't honestly. I didn't want to change anything. I just knew that, however many people listening to this podcast are going to hear your song, and I'm just like, I hope, I hope Kruger's okay with you know the song that he wrote. And I didn't know if you wanted to do something different. I was That's, hoping that you were going to say no. Let's keep it. And I'm like, that was that was fine by me because I, it's got that old countries, country you know sound to it, and I. I think it's fantastic. I don't. I don't think there could be a better song than anybody. If we had to pay, even pay somebody to write, that would be better than what you I, wrote. I ain't paying anybody. <laughs> oh yeah, because <laughs> we're cheap asses. But <laughs> but no, I it's great. And uh, the reason it sounded the way it did, I mean, I hope obviously we haven't we haven't we're not done with the podcast, so we'll put the new version of it in the front of this podcast. But the reason that it was not the best quality was Kruger didn't even know Kenzie was recording it <laughs> and it was just on a Snapchat. So we just <laughs> took that safe Snapchat, put it on the computer and we're like, let's go with it. Like it's good <laughs> enough. Someday Kruger will be in here. Maybe we can redo it. Yeah. I didn't know he was recording until he sent it to me later. <laughs> <laughs> like you remember this? No, <laughs> no, I don't. That's, that sounds like a pretty good song though. Yeah, it's freaking awesome. What? How'd you get into music? Because Kruger has went to went to high school with their older brother Matt, and you guys and Mitch. Then you you started hanging out because you're a couple years older than I am. And then when I got a little bit older, I started hanging out with you more, going up to Mean Jeans Palace of Love up <laughs> in northern <laughs> Minnesota. That's the first time I ever met you. Yeah. And then ever since then, every time was that at Metropolusa? No, it was. Oh. Uh, Leech Lake deal? No, it wasn't even what? Leech Lake. What were we doing? Uh, I think, I think we just went up there just to go up there to get away, doing a little fishing on the river. I think maybe we were, yeah, because it, it was just, late. Oh, yeah, it was. Gosh. Remember, started raining that morning. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> fish should really be biting. Fish now. should really be a bite right now. <laughs> I might have that might have been the first time I ever had any alcoholic drinks when i was about <laughs> 17 years old um <laughs> but yeah, yeah music well no what what i was gonna say was because every time you know our big group of friends get together we're, we're either at a bonfire at you know mitch's house or anybody's house you bring your guitar with and the minute you pull that guitar out and start singing the whole place just goes quiet and everybody just continues to listen to what you're singing even even if it's cover songs of garth brooks george Strait, you know all the 90s country blackhawk everybody that we listen to you start singing it and it just turns into a whole different dynamic at this wherever we're sitting because everyone starts singing along then you you have a couple songs that you've wrote yourself and everyone knows the words of those songs and it's it's a really cool experience to listen to all all these people come together and just shut the radio off, enjoy the fire, and enjoy listening to you sing. And then you even started doing a couple bar gigs. Mm-hmm. That was a long time. Yeah, yeah. Was, <laughs> yeah. We still got a banner hanging in the shed of yeah. Yeah. <laughs> of your bar gigs. What what made you want to start doing bar gigs? 
Well, or music in general. Yeah, yeah. yeah just I music. Mean, it really goes back to when I was young. Um, I, you know, when I was probably in fifth grade or whatever, and we had to take up a music class. We had to do like choir or band. And I said, I'd like to try an instrument. And at the time, I didn't even know what the heck to do. So my parents got me a, a saxophone and uh, joined the school band with that. And that, that was fine. Um, but that was kind of like my first intro in any like real music, reading music, anything like that. Um, but my dad, my dad always had a drum set. Um, it was the only instrument he played. But uh, as I got older, more like uh, seventh, eighth grade, um, starting to listen to more like rock and roll type stuff, um, hard rock, punk rock, different things. I really got into experimenting with drums and uh, <laughs> really just sit down and I like how you did put, that. <laughs> put a headphones on and play pause, play pause, listen to a beat, practice it super slow motion till I figured it out. And once I realized that I could mimic a song, learn it, even if it had to be super slow, it was, it was kind of addicting where I'm like, Oh, I, I can do this. You know, um, we had a prop. It was basically a, uh, decoration in our house in the, in the bottom of our stairs in the basement. My great aunt had an old Hawaiian guitar really in rough shape. It was missing like two strings. But I picked it up one day. I want to say it was right around eighth grade and tried to tune it up the best I could. And again, sat down. I just picked a song that at the time was popular. It was uh, Green Day, Time of Your Life. Nice. Oh, yeah. And I literally just, you know, 10 seconds at a time, 20 seconds at a time, play, pause, play, pause, figured it out. So you never had lessons no you just kind of can you read I, sheet music or no i yeah i mean i can remember from my days of playing saxophone like what notes are oh, where okay. but um at the time um getting access to the internet and finding like tabs uh guitar tabs are like they're similar to sheet music but they're just lines with the numbers of what where frets you hold what i realized is i after a while i could kind of listen to songs and just if i slowly slowly learned it i could f- figure out the whole thing and i figured out that first green day song and i'm like i was hooked right there and i uh <sighs> you know instead of i always tell people this because they're like oh how'd you teach yourself and blah 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 and it, this really goes for anything you do in life there was several years and most of my into my high school career even where i didn't watch a lot of tv i didn't play a lot of video games i didn't do a lot of that kind of thing. I would spend hours practicing uh, my guitar in the house. And eventually my parents got me a cheap acoustic guitar as a gift. And I started learning on that instead of the old Hawaiian thing. (laughs) But I would just spend hours picking, like I'm going to learn this song tonight. And if it took me three hours, it took me three hours. If I figured that song out in an hour, I would start a new one. Right. And I did that almost every night. And just kind of taught myself as I went. And then I joined a, uh, I was in two bands in high school. Um, the first one I played drums in. And then the second uh, one I, I played bass guitar, which 
same concepts as your regular six string guitar, um, same notes, you know, and progressions and all that. Uh, you're just not holding chords with multiple strings. You're holding one note at a time. Did you ever slap the bass? Slap at the bass, man. Slap at the bass, man. <laughs> <laughs> I tried to. I was never, there are some guys that are really good at that. I never really did the slap stuff, but, um, so I played bass in another band and sang. And then I, I got kind of, uh, I don't know, burnt out or whatever in band. And I ended up joining choir in ninth grade, which sounds kind of, this will be more on our granola side of things, I guess. But <laughs> we actually had a lot of, a lot of guys in choir at our school that were, you know, from all, all realms, right? Football players. Yeah. So you guys had a lot basketball of basketball players. Stuff, yeah. Right? A, a good mix of. Yep guys and, and gals and we end up winning some state competitions anyways learning how to sing you know it takes practice just like everything and um so kind of coupling my school stuff with just uh you know wanting to learn different instruments and be able to pick instruments up is kind of funny because again when people ask like oh how'd you just learn this stuff or you know figure it out as you went as you go and uh when my relatives found an old really old photo of like my great great grandpa he's like irish and that like kruger name's german but there's like obviously we all have different slivers of different bloodlines from different but this guy was irish and at the time the picture of him was when he was like 15 and old black and white photo and he looks very similar to me at that age and they're like this guy learned like all these instruments on his own like at the time really yeah, like just hmm. picked up different horns and strings, and he, he's just like a natural. It's like, you, you know, you wonder how much of that is like genetic passed on. I feel fortunate that I've been able to <clears throat> have some of that, you know, because I know it's not as easy for some people. No, I'm horrible at it. I I tried, and then it, I don't know if I just don't have the patience. I'd like to try again, but now I have a girlfriend, so I don't have to. But uh, <laughs> uh, no, I think when you – you bring a completely different aspect and experience to any situation, a bonfire or anything. But when you can have a guy come to deer camp or duck camp or whatever it is, maybe a turkey camp, and you can sit out by a fire and shut the radio off and listen to one of your buddies sing a song and everybody's just getting riled up. I don't know what it is. Like you, you turn on the radio, it's like, that's a really good song. I like that song, but nobody is like really singing it. But then you, you pick up your guitar and you start playing Blackhawk and it's instant. Like everybody's like, this is freaking awesome. It, it, it's, it's great. And it's one of the, one of the best experiences you can have in your camp is a guy that can play music on a guitar. Cause it, it's memorable. It's, there's a lot of memories sitting up at, our cabin just strumming away. Like that, I said before that Mitchell Palooza, we sat out there for hours upon hours and you play it like the entire time. And it was, it was great. It was fun. It was late fall and we were duck hunting or coyote hunting. Well, we got a coyote, yeah. but we were grouse hunting. Yeah, we went and, grouse hunting. But yeah, that was, that, that's freaking insane. It's fun. Yeah. There's a lot of good times. I agree. That that's one thing I really look forward to any deer camp or anything that we do. And, and you're able to, you know, go. Because I'm like, I hope, I hope Kruger's bringing his guitar. <laughs> like, I really want to listen to Kruger play his guitar. Because it, like Mitch said, it brings a whole different dynamic. It, 
the whole morale of camp, even if you had a bad day, you didn't see any deer, you didn't see any birds or whatever you're doing. The minute you pull out that guitar, you can just hear or you can just see the morale and everybody just go from down in the dumps to sky high. And it's like day two is like day one. Like it's all over different ball game. Everyone's ready to go. Yeah. Example, Mitchapalooza. Yeah. We hunted all day and we hunted in some thick crap. We were going for grouse all day. Yeah. Didn't, didn't and, see a grouse. Yeah. Was that the woodcock story when I was? Yeah, we shot a woodcock. <laughs> was that but, was that when you guys were yelling at me? Because I was on the. Oh, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Is that the that, same that, time? Yeah. <laughs> that frickin's yeah. But uh, but then we were all wore out by the end of the day. I mean, we we hunted for you know eight ten hours whatever it was walking through woods you know doing all these drives for grouse up north and and then it came down to the end of the day and we we're all pretty shot and we get back to the cabin and we start. You know, we start eating, grilling, whatever we're going to do. And then we sit sit by the fire and everybody's, uh, like I said, 20 times before, wore out. And then you start plucking the strings and it. we stayed up for probably eight more hours. <laughs> oh, yeah. It was. That's, that's one thing days. that's great about music is it's got this natural ability to just drive emotions and um, you know, bring out that energy in people. I mean, I remember when I was young, obviously being into more hard rock, you know, tapping into that emotion of, uh, the heavier stuff to get ready for football games and things like that. But even now not listening to that stuff as much, but, uh, country music and country rock and things like that. And just the storytelling that goes along with it and the emotions behind it um really has the ability to draw a crowd and bring people up and motivate people at times and I feed off that energy you know and I see how it affects people and I'm like I said you guys said I used to play live shows and uh at small town bars it was a lot of fun back when I had more time no kids things like that <laughs> could stay yeah. out late I yeah I remember the bar thing was fun like that was that was a blast you played a lot you played in quite a few bars down here but then we also, or you also played up in uh, northern Minnesota, and I remember yeah. driving up just for a weekend. And you know, we get up there Friday night. It's it's a pretty decent drive, and you're playing that night. And I mean, town of what? How many people population yeah, of that like town? Like sixteen hundred. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's a pretty small town, and that bar just erupts, and it, it full. it's it's packed full, and it it was. It's just a blast. It's it's insane. But, yeah, a lot of good memories like that for sure over the years. It's been a while though lately. It's been yeah. a while. We need to do a reunion tour. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, you got. I mean, can't, we can't with COVID because you know everything's <laughs> shut down and things. But make our own bar. We might have to. Right in here, we'll just open up the door. Uh, no, but. Uh, and you wrote, how many songs have you written? Um, I mean, technically, that you can remember. Probably like five, I think, that I can remember right now. Because there's, there's a few. There's probably a few more partial ones, but five that I kind of stuck with. and They're they're freaking good. I, I, I've uh, heard the originals. I've got a poor man's copyright on some of them somewhere, but I uh, haven't really done anything with them. 
Well, maybe, maybe with the new equipment, maybe yeah, we'll, maybe maybe, yeah, maybe we'll, we can get a little Matt Kruger album. Maybe we'll release some. To, yeah, to purchase Border That'd Outdoors. Border Outdoors yeah. featured Matt Kruger. Yeah. <laughs> but well, <clears throat> thanks Kruger. Thanks for coming on. Um, thanks, thanks everybody that are, that are listening to the podcast. I mean. Keep keep listening. Yeah, we're, we're gonna have more and more people on. We're gonna have a lot more interesting stuff on the podcast. More stories. Um, if you have any questions about the podcast or have any questions on anything that we listen to, or anything that we listen to, anything that we've you know said, or if you want us to cover a topic on the podcast, go more in depth or a brand new topic, whatever. Yeah, whatever you'd like, you can just uh, email us at questions at border outdoors.com follow us at border outdoors on facebook i mean we have instagram that's meet granola otherwise just visit our website at borderoutdoors.com and we got a couple blog posts on there about you know different things that we've done or tips on, on hunting i mean i'm ho- hopefully if kruger's got time maybe he can put some tips in about turkey hunting for people that are beginning like he has but Thanks for listening, everyone. I think we're going to have Kruger here carry us out with one of his songs. I don't know what he's going to sing, but we'll just uh, have to wait and see. And we'll, uh, we'll talk to you guys next time. All right. Thanks, guys. Hey, uh, this song, I'll play the song to wrap the show up. Uh, it's a little backstory. Uh, we were sitting here talking about songs I had written um, when I was younger. And... Uh, I'd mentioned Andy Rask uh, earlier, deer hunting, and me and him actually wrote this song together. Uh, I was 19, I believe, at the time. I think it was my sophomore year in college, and I was literally sitting in class, uh, having a rough day with that class, and just started thinking up lyrics in my head. And I I thought of maybe a, a verse or a chorus. I can't remember how much, but I came home and back to our college house and told Andy what I had and started pumping out a few chords and riffs and he helped me write the rest of the lyrics. And so this is an original. I haven't played in a while, so I'll try to remember what I can. And uh, it's called Getting Away. Sick of that same old story Day after day The same boring life Nothing changes I need something new Something crazy and wild Can look forward to now Don't get me wrong I have a good life I just need to have fun While still have time Vacation for a week or two Something crazy and wild I need something new I feel like getting away Finding new places Looking for some changes Getting myself the hell out of here Tomorrow's a brand new day Gonna grab my dirty ball cap My old school can Get myself the hell out of here Sitting at work Sitting at class I need to find a better place
baseball game Down at the beach or bowling lane There's so many places I'd rather be So many problems I don't need Got a solution, has two parts Beer and a plan and I'm ready to start I feel like getting away Finding new places, looking for some changes Getting myself ahead out of Trouble situations, trying real hard, running out of patience. Let's do this. We should do that. Let's make tomorrow the good old past. I feel like getting away, finding new places, looking for some changes, getting myself head out of here. Tomorrow's a brand new day. Gonna grab my lucky ball cap. Get myself out of here I feel like getting away